Power, 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 not pity, pity, pity. Power, 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 not pity, pity, pity. Power, 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 not pity, pity, pity. Power, power, not pity, pity, pity. Welcome to another episode of Power Not Pity. This is for all the disabled people of color out there who want to feel respected and reflected. And I share their stories with one sole aim, creating more community. So I'm so glad you're here. My friend Lilac Lilette Maldonado is coming on the show for this episode. If it seems like I'm only interviewing my friends this season, you might be right. <laughs> it's only because I want to share their brilliance with you. We are world builders, we are shapeshifters, and we are the ones who cultivate power through our very existence. We are the culture roots of the future. Before we get into it, I'd like to give a special shout out to my Patreon supporters this month. Shreya Shah, Naomi Cartier, and Manny Rivera. Big thanks to the three of you. Your support means the world to me. Patrons receive extra access to the show through exclusive posts and takeaway videos. If you, dear listener, would like to get a little closer to the show and want a little more crip love in your life, Check out my Patreon account. That's patreon.com slash power, not pity. So Lilac and I go a long way back. All the way back to right before this podcast debuted in 2017. I had received a copy of her zine, Access Granted, from another disabled friend of mine. And the rest, as they say, is history. Or should I say cripstery? Uh, y'all, you already know how corny I am. But anyway, after I received her zine, I knew I had to get in touch with her because her work really taught me about all the principles of disability justice in a really cool way. So here's a little bit about Lilac. As a community organizer and culture worker who identifies as a sick and disabled neurodivergent two-spirit Chicanx femme, she has been actively organizing since 2009 around many intersectional social justice issues. She is a co-founding member of and logistics coordinator for the Los Angeles Spoonie Collective, a grassroots disability justice group connecting disabled activists and artists to community organizing and education opportunities. Outside of work, they are an avid history buff an adventurous multimedia artist, a lifelong pop culture geek, and a loving mom to three black cats. So remember that zine that taught me so much about her and about disability justice? We start our conversation there. 
talking about the community that means so much to the both of us. When I started to come into my understanding as a disabled person, I found out about the disability justice community. And, you know, it was just like, whoa, I can be a part of this. <laughs> you know, I can I can be a part of a group of people where we all come from the, the basic understanding that like Patty Byrne and Leroy Moore and Mia Mingus and all these really notable, like amazing, brilliant, beautiful, disabled people of color have said, you know, like all bodies are whole. We come to each other where we meet each other, where we're at. And I just, I just love that. And I feel like our friendship is also based on that principle. And I, I just love that too, because it really changes the way that we communicate with each other and the ways that we care for each other too. Bringing back the emphasis on it's, you know, for us, by us, our needs come first, our bodies are honored, our stories are sacred. And so it's just been a place for me to be able to find wholeness within my lived experience as, as, a, as a disabled person. And it's been really given me a lot of framework for understanding where, how, where I fit in this world, you know, which is a, a little bit bananas right now. And it's, it's been really just li- a liberatory, uh, like perspective that's given me a whole lot of more room, more room to focus my energy on, on creating positive change for myself, and my community. So that's what disability justice is to me. It's been, it's just, it's just been a way to uplift me and meet my, my, my actual needs and a way for me to stand with the people who, you know, share similar experiences to me. I know you fit into a lot of different communities. And one thing that we talked about in your survey was this just idea of being a femme. How would you say your identity as a disabled person of color fits into your identity as a femme? Well, um, yeah, I identify as um, like a two-spirit trans woman, and that's my um, my gender identity. And I've always kind of had a femme gender expression my entire life. For me, that has always been something tied to, to femininity. There's been something sacred and healing and something that's always called to me about it because of the amazing women that I had in in my life that shaped me. And I think that as a disabled person, it adds a layer of complexity, even, you know, on top of being trans because being trans and two spirit is, it has one layer of complexity where you are not accepted for the body that you're seen in because you're automatically clocked as being, you know, one of these things is not like the other, you know, you don't fit into that main narrative of what it means to be a woman or, you know, what specifically exists in a, in, in a popular lexicon. But I think that, that you're automatically like seen as an other, but, when you are disabled on top of that, you have, I think, internalized ableism, which I, for me shows up in, in informing ways that I think that I cannot, that I am not 
woman enough, or I am not trans enough, or I am not femme enough. I can't wear high heels. I can't cinch my waist like other femmes do. I can't wear certain garments. I have a lot of scars. I have a lot of, you know, like things that I, I think mark me as other. And for a long time, disallowed me from being able to see myself within, you know, the spectrum of femininity. Cause I thought that these things marked me as masculine or marked my body as, as this non-gendered being, because I'm oftentimes as a disabled person seen like as not a whole person. They don't see my gender because that's not, I think that the, the, on the forefront of their mind, they may see, they see my disability first. And because I'm visibly disabled, I walk with a cane. I mean, I think that that shows up with me feeling like I'm never, I'm never good enough to feel like a woman. And so then if I allow that very limited view of, of womanhood and femhood define me, I'll never find myself within it. So I have to then redefine, redefine what womanhood and what transness and two-spirit identity and all these things and, and find ways to interpret them through my own possibilities and find ways to celebrate them in my body that meet me where I'm at and don't pressure me to conform to things that will actually be harmful for me. That's been a big reservoir of strength for me because I've always had to be creative in, in how I approach my femininity. And I've always had to like craft my femininity, femininity in a very intentional way because I can't just go to the mall and pick out any dress and heels and just go out and feel in my body and feel like, feel affirmed by that. I have to find other ways for me that has been grounding my femininity outside of my body. I had to find a way to, to, to find a home and femme that fit me. I, I couldn't wait to be invited by others. I had to find a way to conceive of myself within that. And that for me was really healing instead of limiting, because then I saw that nobody could constrict my definition of what it meant to be femme, that it lived inside of me and it, and it radiated outside. And however it looked that day, I was still femme. Even if I was wrapped up in bandages, I'd still be femme. And that's something that, that has been such a source of, of strength for me because when you have a sense of self-authorship, you know, and self-determination, it really creates a resistance and a resilience inside of yourself that can be really lasting, I think. Do you, do you find that it's the same way for you or different for you? And when you're trying to like come to your own self-authorship as a disabled Chicanx person? I think finding a, like comfort in the, in the legacy of people who have come before me and how they've expressed their femininity. And, and I think that for me being such a rebellious spirit, like I had to find parallels that I, I saw strength in, you know, and some of the like the ideals of womanhood that I kind of really resonated with were the idea of like the soldaderas from the Mexican Revolution who would go around uh, with bandoliers of bullets around their chests, fighting alongside the men, oftentimes keeping the camps. Or it could be the pachucas here who were a vibrant part of the Chicanx community here in in Los Angeles during the time of the Zoot Suit Riots, who were oftentimes profiled by law enforcement and, and, and mistreated, but really held down their communities in, in amazing ways and continue to do so, you know, well into the 
the Chicano Moratorium of 1969, 1970. My patron saint, a woman who like gives me so much of my vision for myself and my communities in the, in the future, it has always been Sylvia Rivera. Ever since I read the book Stonewall by Martin Duberman, it has been a book that really introduced me to Sylvia, you know, like her entire life from childhood. Not a lot of people know that she was disabled. You know, she had several, you know, conditions that like limited her physically and, and physical and mental health. And she was a disabled like Latina uh, trans woman who really helped alongside Marsha P. Johnson and a lot of these other amazing activists from the Stonewall era and the Young Lords era shape the movements that we are in today and really give us precedence for why we're fighting today. And it's because, you know, she loved fiercely. And even though she was hurt and scarred by a lot of her experiences as a disabled trans woman, especially a sex worker, justice fighter, she really had to home craft her femininity and, and find a home for herself within her, her body that, where the world would not make one for her or allow her to have that place. And that sense of honoring yourself at the deepest level where you are able and willing to put up with so much of the gaslighting that we put up with as disabled people, as trans people, as people of color, where you're told that you're, that you're wrong about who you are. But having access to somebody who is a role model who was very headstrong and very sure of who she was, that gives me courage. That gives me motivation to keep pursuing the same. Yo, this is so real already. Our black and brown disabled ancestors have a way of burying knowledge inside of us and it is only waiting to be watered by self-awareness. I know for many of us, however, that self-awareness comes through loss or something life-changing. When Lilac received the news that she didn't get a job that she was banking on after needing a surprise ER visit, it was just one of the things that led her to jumpstart putting her ideals into action. This story is part of the context that led to her creating the Los Angeles Spoonie Collective. I applied for a position that was really important to me at a nonprofit that was run and started by some friends of mine. They had lined me up for an interview, and the first interview was great. I think that we, myself in one interview, could say that I did really well knocked out of the ballpark. It was for a job to be a career advocacy counselor, working with trans people of color and helping them get access to career opportunities, which is like right up my field, exactly what I wanted to be doing at the time. And what I had experience in doing for a very long time. Um, and I was on my way to the second interview when I had an emergency nosebleed that I ended up having to stop my access ride and go into a hotel. And had and I came out of that hotel bathroom in, in a stretcher going to the emergency room because I was having like a massive nosebleed. And I all my interview clothes was, was like like soaked in blood. And I had to tell the person who I was late to the interview as I was in the ambulance in a text, I'm reading a doctor's note. I, um, I want to be able to make up this interview. It's really important to me. And I got ghosted. 
the next week on Facebook Live, I was you know recuperating and I was trying to like I had sent in my doctor's note and everything, nothing, and I had um, seen the person go on Facebook Live introducing their their new career services program at their at, you know and it was another trans woman who had been very competitive with me at the first uh, group interview. I was not even given the opportunity, even though I was, I was an excellent candidate. I felt disposed of it. And I in fact was disposed of because I was never followed up with. And that really was really, I think harmful because I thought that I would be protected in this situation because the person who ran the nonprofit was a friend of mine. It was really hurtful to feel like even the people who I trusted and who I thought would honor that part of my truth and, and understand that my humanity is imperfect and I need space and time to be able to take care of myself when things ha- happen that are not expected. If that person didn't show up for me and make space for me to, to have that imperfection that they would rather have somebody who would be able to show up on time to the interview than to have somebody who actually was good for the job. I think that's part of the culture of when you when you expect people to perform in this way, it especially is nasty to us because we get left on the sidelines. We don't get opportunities and oftentimes we don't even get considered for them because they think they already discount us as, you know, not being capable beforehand. And that this shows up all over community. The having to perform wellness to be able to be to be even be seen as valid in any way, whether it's for dating, whether it's for community hangouts, and or whether it's grassroots organizing or or anything, you're seen as there as somehow deficient as a human being and not able to perform at the same levels. Even if you're able to contribute amazing things, and even if you're able to fulfill your deliverables with, with you know with with like accommodations. There is a lack of human empathy behind that that is kind of informed by capitalism and informed by this idea that everyone should be a cognitive machine, that once you start to break down, we can just replace you. Having access to these concepts that disability justice has given me has allowed me to live you know, a more whole life where I, I, I am able to understand that I have to take care of my of my body and, and, you know, like meet my mind and my body where they're at. And that can be (laughs) sometimes an arduous process, but it's also allowed me to kind of, to find my own voice, you know, and to find, and to be able to, to make my own way. And that's been really liberating too, because I've been able to then create with my friends, this collective where performing wellness is, discouraged and we you know we always find ways to to pick up the the slack and when one of us needs help um and i think that for me if that's what liberation feels like in a lot of ways because i feel safe that if i my body doesn't perform the way that i want to that somebody else is going to be able to have my back something i've learned from them is that us disabled folks of color we can build and shift the narrative around disability when we create collectives. It is because we know that we can lean on each other and that our strength comes from the power of community, not just from one individual who championed everything on their own. So there's something I didn't mention. As if all of her bio I read before wasn't enough, Lilac is also a poet. 
Let's take a break with a performance right over there. Here she is with one of her favorites, Brick by Brick. Brick by Brick. Bricks. With narrow hips that house an epic tempest swish. With broad shoulders held high with dignified feminine poise like the goddess Athena. Softness is your birthright. Bricks. With large hands that gesticulate eloquently, manicured talons intact, and with elegantly long feet perched confidently in perilously high comps. Femininity is your native tongue. Bricks. With deep voice unashamed to lash indulgently with mahogany fullness as they read you for filth. With stubborn stubble that won't submit, or who display their beauty bounty boldly. If gender is a performance, then bravo. Bricks. With receded hairlines and bald spots blessed with lace front freshness. With square jaws anointed lovingly with powder. Bitch, you beat that mug like it stole something. Bricks like me. Bricks like me aren't supposed to exist. Bricks like me are taught to deny our truth, live as men perhaps, never knowing the simple exhilaration of a summer breeze catching the hem of our skirt. Bricks, bricks like me are accustomed to having their speech, their mannerisms police since childhood. Stop twirling your hands like a faggot. No camines como marica. Speak like you got a pair. Bricks, bricks like me are hunted like prey if we don't take our lives first. Bricks like me are familiar with icy revolted stares, cruel whispers and hushed giggles in public, deafening silence and soul-wrenching isolation in private. Bricks. Bricks like me, sometimes our minds betray us, accuse us, berate us, confuse us. Bricks like me, your binary couldn't hold us, passing culture couldn't detain us, and your Hatred could not break us. Bricks like me, we pave the road for liberation. Bricks like me, we create bridges towards access. Bricks like me, we form the pillars of institutions. Bricks like me, we are the movement's foundation. Bricks like me, we will assemble the future, brick by brick. Wow. My community is dripping with brilliance, and I can't believe I get to showcase it. There's something that's been on my mind lately, and I've been talking about it with my therapist. We talk about being enough. Being enough as a Black person, being enough as a disabled person, being enough as a non-binary alien. And while it's easy enough to fall into the trap of internalized racism, cis-sexism, and ableism, what's more fulfilling is developing ways to show up authentically in the world. What's even more fulfilling are the ways that you create that self of your dreams. Some of the most brilliant parts of this interview came from us talking about self-authorship and the ways that disabled folks of color recreate themselves into a new understanding. So, what is the meaning of self-authorship? for a Latinx disabled trans person? Listen in as we talk about it. 
when you are left out of, I think, so many of the mainstream ideas of what it means to be a normal or successful person, you automatically, at first, if you're anything like me, you try to like cram yourself into this, you know, there's this um, idea that I kind of got from, I do a lot of disability justice and eating disorder advocacy. And one of the things that I learned was you cannot deny who you are. You, you cannot deny the, the truth of the vessel you embody and the spirit that you have inside of you. You cannot deny those truths. I still have my life in front of me. And I still want to live a good life. And I still want to be able to work to some of the dreams that I have. If I don't fit into this, this framework of what it means to be a productive and healthy and valuable person, then I get to define it for myself. And I then get to play by a different set of rules because I can conceive of new realities. I've had to kind of like creatively craft everything about my life, you know, from my gender to my career as a historian, whenever I would find little bits of information about people who are also disabled, it would, I think that it would maybe like make me feel like there was a possibility for me to still create a life that had worth and meaning and, and, and where I can, you know, find happiness and wholeness and still contribute to society in, in a way that I, I, I wanted to. Something that I really loved about what you said, I think you might have been on the Chronicles podcast, but you said something to the effect of, I wrote it down because I just had to, I just had to have it written down somewhere. You basically said, I reattribute the energy of being at war with myself towards joy instead. And I just was like, whew, that, that just brings me to all sorts of places. I... I'm so interested to know like, what is what is bringing you joy these days? Like, what are you reattributing this energy, this possibly negative, um, destructive energy that you may have towards joy? I am a mental health educator at Fireweed Collective. It's an amazing job, the most accommodating job I've ever, I've ever had. And recently my colleagues were like, well, You've been going through a lot. You've been having a lot of things going on and, and we can tell you're starting to fray at the edges a little bit that like we need to encourage you to like take some time for yourself. And so they actually gave me a week paid off of work uh, to take care of myself. It was really amazing because it made me feel like I was given the opportunity to recommit some of the anxiety around work to care for myself because I know that I have only so many spoons in a day and almost so much capacity and a lot of that gets eaten up by this inner turmoil of performing wellness what I was able to do is take this week and actually actually rest I got to play my favorite game Animal Crossing uh, and indulge in some of that, which is great because it's just like, it's just kind of like mind, mindless enjoyment where I get to just like disconnect for a while and indulge in fantasy. I've also been uh, especially uh, spending a lot of time with, um, you know, through um, 
oftentimes because we're all spoonies like through through the phone or face uh facetime or you know uh zoom or, or whatever way we can with other other disabled trans femmes and being able to to like find like joy and just like being around each other and 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 letting loose and not having to you know worry about you know like how we are present in a certain way because we're just able to be ourselves and i find so much so much joy in that just sharing space with you know with you know like with 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 other femmes who who know what it's like to like to carry this experience you know you know i have like a lot of really great uh, um femme uh disabled um friends of color <clears throat> who uh, i you know sometimes have you know like we sometimes have difficulty like finding time because we are all marginalized people, you know. But like whenever we do, it's 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 magic, you know. And it feel and it feeds my my spirit. And one of the blessings of being disabled is that I oftentimes am like laid up in bed, like not feeling so great. And what helps me get over my nausea? But you know, texting my besties and being able to see what's going on and offering support. Um, it that is so important for me for my joy because a large part of my joy knows from is is knowing that i'm that i am taking from a joy from my community but also replenishing that with and reciprocating that joy back i want to know lilac what is your disabled power and how do you imagine using it to survive during these times I'm really excited that you asked because I've actually been listening to your podcast since the beginning. And I have always loved this question and I always thought very deeply about it. And at first I thought that I would be like an anti-hero and I would use empathy as my, as my superpower. And I would get people to feel like the, the horrible shit they do to other people and get that to like, I guess like uh, get them to freeze in their tracks and be like, I shouldn't do this. This feels terrible, <laughs> you know. But then I thought about it more, and I thought about you know like the fact that I I don't want to be remembered for somebody who is vengeful. I want to be remembered as somebody who embodied radical love. And I think that one of the most important facets of of radical love is radical vulnerability. And I think that. For me, as somebody who has oftentimes felt very vulnerable in in public, I think that it's shown me that vulnerability is not a status of weakness. It is actually a you know a conduit for strength because I am able to through this experience of opening myself up to people, even though it subjects me to to some possible you know like harm. It also is so such an such an amazing point of connection to other people who may have similar experiences or who have capacity for empathy and love. People are expected to to perform um, not only wellness but perform you know like stoicism and 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 callousness and you know all these things, which is fundamentally unhealthy for for us in most cases i think that for me accessing that vulnerability has been like it, it, it at first feels really scary because i don't know what i'm jumping into and i'm 
having to invest a lot of trust. It's like a muscle and a strength that you that you start to build build strength in little by little as you practice it. You learn to feel at home in your feelings and be able to access those feelings in a mindful way where you're able to be inquisitive about where they come from and then share your perspective with another person. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. You've got strong vulnerability muscles. I love that image. Yeah. My vulnerability is buff. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) That's a, that's a perfect title. I'm going to use that. Okay. My vulnerability is buff. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have any other questions, but I am wondering if you would like to plug some of your work for the people. Tell me where you know, people can find you where they can access your zines. Oh, sure. Um, you can find my, um, presence on Instagram at boldly.fem. That's B O L D L Y dot F E M M E. And uh, you can find LA Spoonie Collective on Instagram at L A dot Spoonie Collective. Wow, I feel like you blessed me today. So thank you for this. Yes, all of my friends are golden. I have always appreciated that Lilac is so strong in their commitment to community. It's part of why I reached out to her in the first place. I think her buff vulnerability power is yet another thing that disabled people of color cultivate to survive the constant barrage of marginalization. I know I do, on the daily. Before this current COVID quarantine time, my radical vulnerability would sometimes come out when I actually acted on my needs and told an able-bodied person how to respect me and how to respect other disabled folks in the future. I can't believe how many times people have told me about my body in the six years that I've been disabled. It is only through my community that I have survived this long, and I appreciate every single one of you so, so much. I loved what Lilac had to say about survival in the context of power, that it is her desire for other disabled people to be empowered in the same ways that she seeks to be empowered every day. It takes guts to live in this world when You have to shape your very own being because of the pervasive power of ableism. Now that I'm done editing this episode, I'm actually thinking about the ways that I shape myself to shield myself in this world. What are the ways in which you shape and create yourself as a disabled person of color? I'd love to hear from you. Hit me up at powernotpity at gmail.com. If you, dear listener, like this episode and feel so called to support this black disabled non-binary alien prince check out my patreon it always means a shout out at the top of the episode exclusive takeaway videos from each interview and ways to get involved with the show from voting on the next guest and a chance to experience a talk back with each guest after the episode drops do you like what you hear Head to patreon.com slash powernotpity to learn more. As always, you can find more about Power Not Pity, including transcripts, 
at www.powernotpity.com. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the handle Power Not Pity. As always, thank you so much for listening. 